SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. You're my blood. Only you could have brought me out. And you're mine. But you can't be my father. They took you away from me. But I made them pay. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. And I'm Thrasher. And uh, this time, for we're a bit late doing this, but for the pseudo-Halloween season, uh, adjacent Halloween time, we're looking at the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. We looked at them quite some time ago and we're... Picking up where we left off with the sixth entry, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. This came out in 91, according to Box Office Mojo, off a budget of $11 million, made $34.9 million. So it did better than um, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. This uh, directed by Rachel Talalay, uh, produced Michael DeLuca, Michael and New, Robert Shea, Aaron Warner. Screenplay by Michael DeLuca, based off a story by Rachel Talalay. Uh, based on characters by Wes Craven, starring Robert England, Lisa Zane, yep, she's Billy Zane's sister, Sean uh, <laughs> Greenblatt, Leslie Dean, Yafet Koto, music by Brian May, cinematography by uh, Declan Quinn, and, um, yeah, you know, they intended this to be the last Nightmare on Elm Street movie. As part of a publicity thing, they held a funeral for Freddy Krueger that cast members attended and cried at and stuff. Uh, it was, they really went all out, and yet... As any fan of, uh, especially the horror genre knows, I guess this is only in the horror genre, right? When a movie <laughs> says, you know, such or such is dead or final chapter, this says final nightmare in the title, you might recall Friday the 13th, 4 was the final chapter, and they did, um, you know, like seven films after that. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. It's kind of like in a comic book when a character dies. Like, they can always think of an excuse to bring them back. And sometimes they don't even have an excuse to bring them back. They're just back. There's no real reason. Yes, a, a time bullet. Yeah, all sorts of things. So, sometimes <laughs> a shovel gets stuck in a Voorhees corpse and then lightning strikes that shovel and then Voorhees is back to life. Oh, that's a nice Frankenstein homage. But yes, yes, yes. It's uh, certainly... But yeah, this one... Um, when's the first time you saw this one, Thrasher? I I know that at some point in the late 90s I saw this uh, on cable because so much of what was in this movie was familiar to me, but the only time I have clear memories of watching it was when I watched it a few days ago for this episode. Right. I saw this originally um, several years ago. I worked at a, a store called Movie Stop. I don't know if they have those anymore, but it was a, a retail used movie store owned by the GameStop people. And... Um, a box set of Nightmare on Elm Street came in and I was able to get a, a pretty good discount so I bought it and was watching through the movies and that's when I finally saw it. Um, and uh, yeah, th this one is, is weird. I, I, I do, uh, I was in the bookstore flipping through um, Robert England's uh, autobiography he came out with a few years back and with this film he mentioned that um, they, the people making it realized they were pushing on the humor angle more as opposed to the darkness of uh, part five, The Dream Child. Yeah, this is... I'm not going to say that this movie has a lighter tone, but there, there, there is more comedy. And there's more, I guess, a best what I can describe as a sort of heightened zaniness, especially when the cast of the film finally arrives in Springwood. It, exactly, and uh, and that the, the Springwood stuff I think is fairly interesting. We'll get into that as we discuss the film. Um, one thing I want to point out, which is cool, is the director Rachel Talloway. I think she has a pretty neat story. She started at New Line Cinema, uh, kind of at the uh, at the bottom, uh, sort of like as a production assistant on the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and then worked her way up, and also worked on some John Waters films and. 
They said, hey, you want to direct a movie? We can give you the new uh, Freddy Krueger movie, and she jumped on board to do that. And I think I think that's really cool. You don't hear stories about that too often. Usually it's someone gets into directing from doing commercials or music videos, or maybe they might have like a, a student film or an independent film they took 10 years, you know, scrambling the money to make, and that someone could kind of work their way up from the, the mailroom, so to speak, and direct a film is really, uh, really cool. Well, she has a fascinating filmography. I mean, she produced John Waters' Hairspray. Yep. Uh, after yep. doing Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, she did the horror movie Ghost in the Machine. In 1995, she did one of my favorite good-bad movies, Tank Girl. Directed it? Yeah, she did direct that. Oh, cool. Yeah, um... You know, I never saw that one. I saw bits of that on TV, but I should. Uh, too bad it doesn't have a it, sequel. I guess that doesn't mean I can't watch it. But it, it is worth seeing. I I, I would recommend uh, checking it out, and then I would recommend looking looking into production. Somewhere there's a lot of footage that never made it to screen that would completely change the nature of the movie we got. It looked like she's directed a whole bunch of stuff, including this. Seems quite interesting. A uh, a TV BBC um, version of Wind in the Willows. Starring the late Bob Hoskins as Badger. Oh, yeah. And that's been filmed, I mean, several times, of course, but I think that's... that's and she's done, you know, westerns, uh, all sorts of stuff. So that's, I mean... Well, she also has worked on several episodes of the revived Doctor Who series. Oh, yeah, sure. So a lot of... Uh, also The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl and sh even Sherlock. Wow. Okay, so... Yep, a lot of... A lot of great things in, in her career, and it all started with the directing part with Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Um, and in fact, the, you mentioned she did John Waters. The reason why is she said, oh, do you want to... They offered her, I think, you know, she was producing or something, and said, you want to produce Nightmare on Elm Street 5, uh, Dream Child? And she said, I've done four Freddy Krueger movies in a row. I need a break. And so they mm -hmm. offered her John Waters, and she was excited about that and did some movies with him. Um so yeah, yeah, yeah. Freddy's dead. The final nightmare. It is. It does stick to formula conventions in some way, but in another way, it doesn't because it, as we mentioned, like it's in a different town and well, so forth. Well, it start. Well, it starts off, you know, outside. It start. It starts off far from Elm Street. Yes, um, yes. And and it starts out, and it, and we open uh, with a dream sequence where the uh, the character that will come to be known as John Doe, played by Sean Greenblatt, is being taunted by Freddy Krueger, and this is the apotheosis of Freddy Krueger as a Bugs Bunny who wants to kill you. Because <laughs> he, he keeps putting John Doe in this nightmare scenario where he's falling, the house he's in is falling, they're both falling... Uh, Freddy Krueger flies by on a broom like a, the Wicked Witch of the West. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little soul, too. Yeah, and uh, Robert England appears to be having fun, sort of oh, latching on to the Bugs Bunny aspects of the character. Uh, but but at the end of it, you know, when uh, when John when the, when John Doe kind of like falls in the dream, and uh, he ends up. He ends up kind of falling sort of out of nowhere into the middle of this street. And so he just gets up and starts walking. But we see Freddy kind of watching him through like a rip in the dreamscape, uh, you know, mumbling about how he's got plans for this kid. Uh, and that's something, and I guess that's something that, that never really is borne out in this movie is exactly what the connection between Freddy Krueger and John Doe is. Does he just see him as a patsy? Well, I mean, he he is a patsy because because the movie starting out like in the first act, the movie wants to make you think that John Doe might be Freddy Krueger's son, and at one point, Freddy Krueger believes, or one point, John Doe believes he's Freddy Krueger's son, but it becomes pretty clear that's not the case very early on. I'm I'm wondering if the implication was he is a kid from from Green's uh he is a kid from the from Springwood but mm. that maybe that that he got out but he's just suffered so much trauma he has amnesia i mean if you're going to give your character amnesia you'd think at some point his memories would come back or or we'd learn about his true background but that never happens he remains a cipher throughout the film i bet there's cut footage from this this movie only runs 89 minutes which is pretty lean uh even for a horror film. Uh, one one bit of trivia came to mind as we were discussing this. Um, it took a bit for them to sort of settle on what to do for this particular film, and 
Uh, one screenplay they received was uh, from a promising director from New Zealand, Peter Jackson. Mm. He had. Have you heard about this one? Yeah, it's my understanding that the premise was uh, it was it was it was a Friday the Thirteenth movie. I'm sorry, no, it was a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that critiqued the fact that the series had gotten so humorous, where it took place in either the modern day or the near future, where Freddy Krueger was now a Bloody Mary-type urban legend that kids would invoke at slumber parties, but very deliberately. And in fact, what would happen is, since no one was scared of Freddy anymore, the kids would use lucid dreaming to enter the dream world at slumber parties and beat the shit out of Freddy Krueger. That's right, I think... And Freddy Krueger eventually cuts a deal with the kid, and the kid starts like performing Freddy Krueger killings in the real world to make Freddy scary again. In some ways, there's some of shades of Nightmare on Elm Street too, but I think that's a very interesting premise, and I'm and some I'm a bit disappointed they didn't go with that one. Yeah, I would love to see that script. That sounds fascinating because that's less conventional than what we get here. Although I think we get some good points, so. As in any Nightmare on Elm Street movies, um, we have a group of kids, right, that we follow around. Yeah, there's like a a halfway house slash like home for troubled youth where most of the cast comes from. Uh, And yeah, they're all they're all kids. And one thing that I did like about this movie is that they're all kids that have like differing differing levels of trauma. Uh, There's a woman who's really into fitness and martial arts who was clearly you know abused by her father. There's a there's a, a boy who is uh, who is deaf because of abuse he suffered at the hands of his mother who who has a hearing aid and that that becomes a plot point and a source of fear uh, which I really yeah. appreciated and also as we turned out as we find out later in the film Freddy Krueger himself was abused that's that's very true like he was he was a, a, abused and also like a, a, a victim of bullying although at the same time, they never really make him too sympathetic because when we get those flashbacks later on in the movie to Freddy's childhood, he still seems like a really creepy kid. Yeah, and uh, he, um, you know, no matter what attempts they, they make to try to make him sympathetic or at least thematically link him to these other characters, he killed several children. Yep, killed several children and a class pet. Right, and he probably raped some of the children. I don't know. They don't get into that, but it's just like that sort of implied like how can you and, and that's something that when we get to it in a few weeks the nightmare on elm street remake um sort of does a different tack on but well that that's a big thing about this movie is that yeah. freddie's backstory gets really expanded i mean the only the only expansion that we had before was just the revelation that he was quote unquote the son of a hundred maniacs because of the circumstances of of his his mother and his birth the mother um, was a nun yeah, yeah but but in this film you know we find out that he was abused and bullied we but we also find out that the whole reason he's this dream monster is that when he was when he was murdered by the elm street parents he was met by three ancient Babylonian dream demons, or, or Greek, or something, some ancient society, who yeah. then cut a deal with him to make him this 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 living boogeyman, so that he could keep doing like, like we we get it. He's a ghost that wants revenge on 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 the people who killed him by going after their kids, but now he's like employed by a lower power by an infernal power to be this monster. It's. It's, well, it's, I mean, it's, this is a real yeah. mixed bag. It, it is, and that's the question. Does that does he do the dream demons and do the more explanation of the backstory of when he was a child uh, weaken the character? And I think they do. I think in a lot of ways, especially like with the with the villain or or, or something, um, uh, whether it's a horror film or not, the less you explain, the more interesting it is because you want to know, oh, who is who is this guy? This guy is, you know, kind of weird. Is weird and creepy and kills people and has these dream powers. And I think when you make it mysterious, for me, it's more interesting. I don't want to know how the leopard got his spots. Well, beyond beyond that, so we have Yafet Koto as Doc, and I really like him, who's this psychologist who works with the, the troubled children, who's really into lucid dreaming and alternative therapies and things like that, but is also an expert in these crazy ancient mythologies. And very early on, spells out that there's this trio of dream demons who every generation cut a deal with the worst son of a bitch they can find in hell <laughs> to become a Freddy Krueger, which 
if you're going to do that, I now kind of want to see a movie about Freddy Kruegers throughout the ages. Who are the other people that got this job? Was Jack the Ripper one of these dream guys at one point? Ooh, yeah. Save it for pitch a sequel, but yeah, no, the, the implications <laughs> of that are interesting. Uh, yeah, Yafet Koto is a super solid actor. Um, you know, he was the bad guy in Live and Let Die. He also was in uh, one of the crew in the original Alien movie. Uh, he's done so much work over the years, and he just... He doesn't phone it in as you expect a, um, you know, a, a seasoned actor might do in a the sixth entry of a horror film. Yeah, I, I really liked him in this movie, and and he, it kept. Oh, what's that noise? Oh, my cat is scratching a couch. Oh, I'm, it, it sounded like some some monster was trying to get in. But yes. um, so Yafet Koto was Doc. For it kept skirting the edge. Of being being a, a magical Negro role, but yeah. by the end of the movie, he's had a much more active hand in the development of the story, and I was very happy for, about that. Well, and it's nice that you know the kids aren't all white kids. We have Carlos, you know, and, and this whole series I think has done a, especially for the the eighties, considering when it was made, a pretty good job of having a, a somewhat diverse cast. Hmm. Um, I think, you know, looking at the kids and stuff, uh, the one who became the most famous is Brecken Meyer. Oh, yeah. Played Spencer. Brecken Meyer. From Garfield the Movie. Garfield the Movie is John Arbuckle. Um, he was... Was he in, like, I Know What You Did Last Summer or something? He did, like, so many different... Uh, can't Hardly Wait, sure. Uh, oh, he's in Escape from L.A. In The Craft, of course. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Oh, Craft is so fun. I wish that had a sequel so we could do that. That's a bit surprising they haven't tried remaking it, right? It sounds like it'd be something. Uh, but Brecken Meyer, he uh, he has a look that just fits this character very well, and it's a character that's... Uh, I wouldn't say, like, surfer dude, but he has a very amiable presence. Yeah, I mean, no, no one in this movie turns in a bad performance. Uh, e- even some of the actors uh, who who play some of the, the the crazy adults they meet later, even when they're over the top, they're still doing a pretty good job. Well, let's get into uh, the nightmares. I think you know there's there seems to be more, at least more interesting ones in this film than in uh, Elm Street Five: The Dream Child. Uh, which ones kind of stood out for you? Well, I love. I mean, I love John Doe's falling nightmare only because yes. that that yeah. is that that is like a very primal fear and a very kind of classic archetypal nightmare dream. So I'm glad that they open with that. Um, one that I love because it's so bad is the video game dream. <laughs> Ouch! Oh, like that, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, no, okay. it, I mean it's not good. It's terrible, it. but it's yes. terrible. I find it very entertaining in how terrible it is. Yeah, so um, this is with the the Spencer character played by Breckin Meyer, and he gets sucked into a video game to fight Freddy Krueger. Ironically, you know, around this time there was a Nightmare in Elm Street game you could buy on the Nintendo. <laughs> uh, and it, my problem is, and it, it's a big problem for me. Whenever I, you know, I'm a big fan. We're both big fans of video games, but um, I, I studied game design in college and stuff, and. Whenever they try to display uh, someone making a video game or someone gets sucked into a video game, it never looks like a real video game. That that's true. I mean, and this be- looks like a shitty cartoon that's kind of blocky. And and the th- and the other the other thing that kind of hurts it is that like you could have had a game that looked like this five years later. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's fair. Like the um, technology the, never, the, the technology for video games and movies is always five, ten years behind or five years ahead of what's possible with the medium. Right. I mean, you want to see something that has somewhat accurate but somewhat not implications of technology. Look at the net with Sandra Bullock. Wait, isn't that the one where the hot new game that she's debugging is Wolfenstein 3D, which was seven years old at that point? I think so, but I'm thinking more of like on that they have a scene where from the internet she can type a command and get a pizza delivered to her house, and like that's something that really happened a few years later. Like, but that seemed like science fiction when well, that you, came out. And you say 94. a few years, but it really was more like ten. 
Uh, yeah, probably. I'm thinking of... In, uh, <laughs> But World of Warcraft had a, a tie-in with a pizza company where you could type in slash pizza and get a pizza delivered. Oh, yeah. They had a lot. I mean, that's a topic for another show. But sure, they sure, had sure. some fascinating tie-ins. Wasn't it? Um, anyhow, speaking of... Well, as long as we're talking about like date, dating it and video game technology, so yeah. in, infamously, because the, the twist in the dream is that he thinks he's going to be able to defeat Freddy, but then Freddy starts controlling him, which leads to some in just bizarre comedy where this movie really plays with the overlap between the dream world and the physical world, where where Spencer in the real world is jump is like doing these herky jerky motions and jumping <laughs> up and down like Mario. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so comical. But then of course at the height of this when um when they when Tracy enters the dream to go after Freddy, uh you know, she goes to attack him and Freddy goes, Oh, you forgot the power glove. And he yeah. has this crazy steampunk version of the Nintendo power glove, but with his own claws growing out of it. I'd buy that as a collectible. Why have they made that as like a Todd McFarlane you know, bust or something? Well, you know, there's, there's gotta be somebody online who makes the, who makes a replica of that exact prop. I, I'm sure someone's cosplayed as, as Freddy Krueger with the power glove, but yeah, it, Freddy chiefs as he often does, and yeah, it's, I, 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 you know, that dream is sort of like so bad that it's funny or fascinating. But the, the dream sequence that sticks to me with this one is Carlos with the yes, character. that it's, it's very, is my it, my absolute like, favorite. Yeah, super dark, very mean spirited, even for Freddy Krueger, because this this kid is deaf, and I've um had some. I don't know that much about deaf people, but I, I've had some deaf uh, classmates over the years and stuff, and it's, it has to be a hard disability, and that it involves him, he gains his hearing back, but then he starts like dropping all these pins on the floor, and the noise is overwhelming, and oh, it's well, just... Well, that's that's all part of the, the whole sort of like Bugs Bunny thing, because they really do a great job playing around with what Carlos can and can't hear when yeah. Freddy cuts off his ears and, and, and jabs those Q-tips through his head to, oh. to, de- to deafen him again. Uh, you know, replay, replaying a trauma that he suffered in his own life. But yeah, when, when he gets when he gets his ear back and, and can hear again. But yeah, just just the way the way just Freddy gleefully drops those pins one at a time, and yes. how each one falling, it's like a bomb going off. Uh, and then yeah, then eventually just dropping the bucket of pins, and it's so loud, Carlos's head explodes. This this is a this is a dream that truly plays off of of uh, plays off of the fear of the victim. Like, the video game dream has nothing to do with any of the characters' traits or personalities or backgrounds. But this no, one it's just Carlos, video games were popular at the time. Yeah. It, it's, well, it's, it's like in the previous film where there was the, 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 the drug addict who had got sober and how her dream is all about her addiction. This, this has the same grounding in the character, and that's part of what makes it work yep. so well. Right. And, oh, I just felt so bad for him and this that dream and, and the q-tip too far in the ear just ugh, i i don't like people messing with my face in general but oh with yeah the, with my the ears and the you know and the eyes in particular just get weird about it but yeah ev- everyone has you know had the experience for me with they used a q-tip that went in a bit too far and it was oh kinda... yeah no 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 i know i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> yes so I, and, uh, I once okay. I once had a yeah. very very bad uh, ear infection, uh, and Ouch. so when I was finally taken to the doctor to have it checked out, you know they have that like scope to look in your ears. Yes. Uh, they they put that in. My ear was so swollen, or the inside of my ear was so swollen, it couldn't go in my ear. And Ooh. the doctor trying to put that in to see like the full scope of the infection, it was one of the most painful things I had experienced up to that point. Yeah, just the super tenderness. Oh, I can't. Sure. But, and and your ears, you don't think of, and this is, I'm sort of a tangent, but this is what we do at Sequel Cast 2. Uh, yeah, but with um, your ears, it's something where you don't actively think about them a lot, but when they hurt, they can really hurt. Oh, yeah. And it messes with your balance and all, all sorts of things. Oh, 
But the the, we, the reason these dreams start happening is so we have um, we have this character Lisa Zane plays uh, Maggie Burroughs, who's a young uh, counselor working working at the the children's home, and the short version is that on when John Doe gets gets picked up by the police and brought brought to the home. And they find on his person, like, just these sort of scraps of information that seem to point to Springwood. So she decides she's going to take John Doe to Springwood, see if it sparks any memories, and see if maybe they can find his parents. Now, this happens at the same time that Carlos, uh, Tracy, and Spencer, they've all decided that they want to get out of the home, and they're going to sneak out by hiding in one of the vans. Uh, And it turns out the van they hide in is the van that... uh, that that Maggie takes. And so they're all stuck together going to Springwood, which is a gr- which is a re- pretty good way to get all the characters uh all the characters brought into that setting. But this is a Springwood. This is cuz I th- I think the implication is this movie might be set a few years in the future. But they go to Springwood and Springwood is a town without children. Right. The, the implication is Freddy successfully killed and continued to kill every child in Springwood to the point where they just stopped having kids and the collective trauma broke the town. And the first sign that something's weird is there's a creepy carnival. It's no more creepy than any carnival you get in a horror movie, but they notice really quick, you, there are no kids at this carnival. This carnival should be full of kids. And it's all these weird anachronistic adults. They all look a little bit out of date. They all look like they're trying to harken back to that, you know, mythical 1950s suburban golden age. Um, And since you have these teenagers in town, like all the adults are instantly obsessed with the teenagers. And that's when we get another thing that really dates this movie. The cameo from Roseanne uh, Barr and Tom Arnold. Yeah, and um, they really lay their accent on thick but i think tom arnold does a little bit better well this is something i'm trying to i'm oh crud i can't i i i can't remember what film essayist had pointed this out and i it might have been it it might have been nathan rabin or john teddy but um they they had pointed out that tom arnold is at his best when he's a supporting player and he's a supporting player in this movie and he really shines yeah, he's not too broad. Roseanne Barr is very over the top. I think she seems to be relishing playing a character that's not her character on her sitcom, Roseanne. Well, she, she like Freddy Krueger, is, is a cartoon in this movie. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, yes, we don't have any kids around here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a grit-sucking... <laughs> and, and everybody's like, y'all come back to our place. We'll take care of you. But like you know, there's that there's that there's that uh, woman from the orphanage who is like crazy and talking to students uh, who aren't there. There's so oh, man, many yeah. cool things with this the the adults in this town having been driven mad. I kind of wish that's where most of the horror came from. I, I wish there was a little less of the dream stuff and more about like how awesome would that be if if the kids decide they're going to leave really early on, but the adults of Springwood won't let them do it. Like sure. what if the yeah. what if all these people were trying to keep them in town so that they could have kids? Oh, yes. like how you know, like like a breeding center and oh my god, yeah. I mean that would just be just how horrifying that would be. Like they take you know they go out to get back in the truck and the truck is like is gone because the friendly neighborhood mechanic saw that oh yeah the taillight mm-hmm. problem I'll just fix it. Oh, when I was fixing the taillight, I found something wrong with the carburetor, and he's just making up excuses to not sure. give them back their truck. You know, they it, they, go, they yeah. go to a hotel, you know, they're put up in a local hotel only to notice that the locks of the hotel rooms are outside the doors. I mean, that could be a whole other movie. Have any other teenagers or kids come wandering through this town and what happened to them? Like, they, there's a whole other movie we're not allowed to see because there's so much Freddy in this film. Yeah, another way you could do it is have it be about um, the last six surviving teenagers in Springwood. And it's sort of a tragedy as Freddy kills off the last ones, and then it ends with them sort of saying, we must not have any more children to get rid of Freddy from this town once and for all. Yeah, I don't know. There's so many things you could do with that idea. It's such an interesting idea. They kind of leave it there on the table. And uh, I, I agree. I think it's underused. 
Oh, so I do want to. We we should talk about the uh, the cameo. So uh, at at the in the late eighties, early nineties, there was this infamous anti drug uh, PSA that this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs with the the fried egg, which. It, even even as a kid, I didn't understand it because, in a way, you're improving the egg by turning it into a delicious and hearty breakfast. But anyway, yeah. um, so um, I believe it's uh, Tracy is there's a there's a bit there's so one of the more effective scenes is there's a uh, there's a uh, broken TV, but Spencer tokes up in the house. They find the house from the first Nightmare on Elm Street and I sort of squat there for the night. He he tokes up and he starts seeing shows on the broken TV sent there by Freddy Krueger, but one of the images he sees is a recreation of that PSA, but it's Johnny Depp. Yeah, that's too cutesy for me. Well, I didn't even know it was him. I didn't know it was him until I was uh, going through the Wikipedia page for this movie. Like, I guess even at the time, I guess he thought he was too big for Nightmare on Elm Street because he's not credited as Johnny Depp. He's credited as Oprah Noodle Mantra. That's a pretty good name. Yes, <laughs> but like that was that was kind of a fun moment. But like a lot of the psychedelic imagery you get in that scene is really good. Yeah, no, the the, uh, the effects in this movie, for the with the exception of that Nintendo Dream we talked about, are, are pretty solid. Um, except towards the end, where although I think we're jumping ahead of ourselves, um, so there's a big twist in this film, right? Yeah, so you know, as we start to get more flashbacks uh, about Freddy Freddy Krueger, we learn that Freddy Krueger wasn't was a respected part of the community uh, in Springwood, and in fact had a wife uh, and a child, and that child. Uh, shortly before Freddie got caught as the infamous local child murderer, um, she she discovered his... He had this sort of secret workshop in the basement, and she discovered all of his killer's paraphernalia, his razor gloves, clippings about the missing children, uh, and then comes out to see Freddie murdering her her mother. Uh, and we come to find out this little, this little girl, who has also appeared in a couple of dream sequences... Is in fact uh, Maggie Burroughs. Maggie Burroughs is Catherine Krueger, Freddy Krueger's daughter, who was taken from who was taken from Freddy's custody, uh, and I, I guess just eventually like fostered or adopted uh, out of town. She she has sort of no memory of of her childhood. Um, which is pretty. It's it's all it's all pretty effective, but it does it does throw another wrench uh, into the whole Freddy Krueger origin story. Because again, as we learned in the first film, the whole reason Freddy uh, Freddy got killed by the Elm Street parents is that when he was brought to trial for the murders, he got off on a technicality. Now they've never said what that technicality is, but he killed his wife. And there was a witness, and he had an evidence dungeon in his own home. Yeah. What technicality could have got him off? Yeah, it's a shame. And we talked about this uh, quite some time ago in the, the episode of Freddy's Nightmares, that is the, the prequel kind of thing. It begins, sadly, when the court case ends. And I, you could do a whole movie about that damn court case. I would really, I honestly would really like to see that. I would the love to see a movie piece, about yeah. like a police detective trying to find this killer. They then find the killer. The killer then gets off on a technicality, and then we see the Elm Street parents kind of choose choose to perform this act of collective murder. There's there's real horror that could be explored there, um, but but instead, every time every time we go back into this origin story for Freddy Krueger, it gets bigger and more convoluted, and and harder to swallow, unfortunately. Sure, but I do like that. I do like that Maggie is is Freddy Krueger's daughter. There is something extra horrific about the idea that when Freddy was alive, he had a family. Definitely. Um, and, and this is and this is when we find out because John Doe at this point he thinks that he's Freddy's son, but then he finds out that Freddy's just using him to get to Maggie and the other kids. And Maggie, this is when we get to a very understated part of the Freddy mythology. There's this drug hypnosil that has I don't believe it's ever been said out loud, but bottles of it have appeared in several movies, and it's this its this sleep aid that gives you dreamless sleep that yes. a number of, of characters have taken, and in fact, Maggie has been taking it for quite uh, for quite some time, uh, and once she, once she misses a dose and Freddy can get into her dreams, you find out that Freddy's whole plan is when Maggie leaves, 
he'll be able to go with her in her dreams and can start preying on the children wherever she settles down. And this leads to, I think, one mm. of the, the, the more chilling lines where, and this is the line I remember because it was on all the ads for this movie at the time, where he just gleefully says, every town has an Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. But that's true. I think that's one of the reasons why this series has been so so effective. There's an Elm Street in the, t- like, uh, like uh, three blocks from where I grew up. There's an Elm Street where I live now. There's an Elm Street near where we live in Savannah. It's so wonderfully commonplace. It brings the horror home. Did you say you live in Savannah? No, when we lived in Savannah. Oh, lived in Savannah. Yeah, sure. Um, confuse me for a second. Uh, so, one big gimmick when this movie came out in theaters is uh, it was in 3D, but not really. It was the last, like, ten minutes or so were in 3D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And this ties in directly into the movie, and in the home video releases, it's been hit and miss with um, sort of sloppy how they incorporate the 3D in the movie, and they need a pair of the old-fashioned glasses. Oh, the old red and blues. Red and blues, which don't come with, like, the box sets of the movies anymore, but you can get them from a dollar store or something. They're pretty easy to find. They're not Actually, go to, uh, if you've got a local comic shop, Go to your local comic shop and ask if they have 3D glasses. More likely than not, they will have a stash of 3D glasses. Fascinating. I know this from experience. I bet. Uh, Did you try watching this final sequence in 3D? Regrettably, no. Uh, The version of the movie I had access to did not preserve the 3D effect, Uh, which is sad because I've got like four pairs of 3D glasses, half of them from comic shops, um, that are that are handy and available to me. Um, But it is kind of neat because when 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 Maggie gets back to the the home and and talks to Doc, Doc's like, "Okay, well we got we got to go into the dream," and they finally play with something that we've been talking about since the first film, the idea that objects can transfer between dream and reality. And so the plan is, we'll send Maggie into the dream world to do a lucid dream to grab Freddy and then bring Freddy into the physical world, where hypothetically he'll be mortal and we can kill him. And part of doing this is that Doc. You know, shows her these 3D glasses, and it's full Inception. He's like, these are your totem. If you have these, you can look through them, and you will know what is real and what is a dream. Right. And that's and that's that's pretty effective. And you know, it all ends. You know, there's a nice re- callback to the boiler room. Uh, in uh, in the end, it does. After some false starts, it does work. She is able to pull Freddy into the into the physical world. Uh, stabs him with his own claws uh, and eventually Freddy gets blown up by a pipe bomb uh, because uh, one of the characters was into explosives uh, and when Freddy is blown up by the pipe bomb we see the three Sumerian dream demons rendered in very bad CGI yeah. uh, I will say, I will dare say even for the time emerge from his body and go no. Have, one of them sounds like Johnny Kassir, actually, did you notice? It, it might be. I, it, I, and they, they look like little snake things. And, uh, but one yeah, thing I, he, I, I could, not, conf- I could is, not confirm if that was or was not Johnny Kassir, but it really sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do want to touch on is when she has those glasses and is able to see Freddy's mind when she does the lucid dreaming, is you get a lot of sort of quick clips of Freddy as a child and abused by his um, one of his foster parents. And his foster father is played by Alice Cooper. Oh, I completely missed that. It's blink and you miss it. I wish they would have... like He actually, I think, does a pretty good job of being menacing. I kind of wish they would have focused on that a bit more. I'm kind of surprised he doesn't have a song on the soundtrack. Iggy Pop does. Yeah, although you know, um, do you know what other uh, horror movie franchise Alice Cooper was involved with? Oh, do tell. So you mentioned song on the soundtrack. He did a the song on the end credits for Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, and it's oh. um, he's back, the man behind the mask. Have you ever heard it? And he did the whole music video where he gets sucked into the video with Jason or something in a movie theater. I I must have heard it uh, only be, only because uh, my wife and I did a rewatch of uh, Friday the Thirteenth last year, and so they don't feature it prominently in the film. I, I think it's it's more um, pop than Alice Cooper's sort of you know comedic dark rock stuff. 
But it's it's catchy little numbers. He's back, the man behind the mask. But I do... So, hypothetically, Freddy is dead because the dream demons leave his body. But over the credits, I actually kind of like this. We get a montage of Freddy's best moments. Yeah, yeah. Which which works as a tribute, especially if you can buy into the idea that this was going to be the last Freddy movie, at least for a while. Right. The uh, Jackass 3D did the same thing with a montage of their best stunts from the show and the different movies. (laughs) Um, even the last episode of Beavis and Butthead, uh, before the end credits, had a really lengthy sort of montage with, um, oh, gee, like some Oh, are you song. talking about the, the Beavis and Butthead are dead episode? I think so. Uh, but they used some, like, old song to it or something. Some, like, song from the 50s, and uh, huh. Mike Judge said it made people cry, which surprised him. Interesting. I don't know that much about Beavis and Butthead will be my caveat to get out of getting all those facts wrong. But, yeah. So, and, and I think they could have drawn out the final fight with Freddy. If it's the final fight, really make it a final fight. That was done with a bomb and all that. It could have stretched it out a bit more is what I'm trying to say. Well, there is a part of me that kind of wished his death could have been a bit ironic. Like, what if he died? What if they force-fed him a bunch of hypnocil and he died of an overdose? I mean, that... Mm-hmm. That if sleep killed Freddy, that would be a wonderfully ironic end. What if they, what if they stuff him in the furnace? I don't know. Oh, oh my like... gosh! Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Recreate how he was killed by the Elm Street parents. That would be a wonderful full full circle of an ending. Right. Um, oh well. So yeah, this is Freddy's dead. The final nightmare. The poster says they saved the best for last. I have to disagree. Um, <laughs> I would give this a not recommend. I don't think this is the the worst of the series, but it we've seen better. They can try harder. It, it feels like they're not trying as hard. And that being said, there's some good dream sequences. Uh, Yafit Kodo, as you mentioned, is, is quite good. And um, I like this better than uh, the fifth one, The Dream Child. I think this is a better movie, but I, I don't think it's as good as like the first movie or or, or some of the other ones. So. It kind of falls in the middle of the pack for me, so it's just it's just not quite good enough to uh, for me to say a sequel yes to. So I'll give it a sequel no. I'm, I'm going to give it a sequel yes only because I had a great time watching this movie. Okay. Uh, it had some great ideas, even if they weren't very well executed. I loved all the characters. I it, it, As much as I prefer Freddy... Uh, as a, a specter of horror, as opposed to a murdering Bugs Bunny, this is the best version of the murdering Bugs Bunny Freddy. Yeah, I'll give you that. I think it's a, a good balance between the bad and the, you know, this kind of darkness and, and the humor. And they really push the humor enough where it becomes pretty absurd. It's a fine line to walk, certainly. Yeah, and we'll talk about it more next week, but. I, I do like the fact that the franchise overall respects Freddy's death. This Freddy Krueger never comes back. Okay, that's fair. It's it's the first absolute ending he's ever had, and actually, which actually harkens back to one a great monologue, a great speech Freddy gives in this movie is he lists all the ways they tried to defeat him in the past films and how none of them worked. <laughs> So, what would you do for a pitch a sequel for this? Well, if I'm going to do if I'm going to do pitch a sequel, I am going to stick with the idea. I am going to stick with the idea that that Freddy Krueger is dead. It is going to be a nightmare on Elm Street, but it's not going to be a nightmare that involves Freddy Krueger. Not that his imagery won't be invoked, uh, but that essentially that essentially I'm going to run with the idea that the the adults of Springwood really really want children and so that's going to be that's going to be the whole thing a group of uh, a group uh, a group of kids let's say let's say a school field trip there's like one of those like school band field trips where you got to go cross country to go to regionals the truck breaks down near springwood or the bus i should say 
And so they're brought into town uh, to have uh, the bus repaired, and the townsfolk keep making excuses to keep them there. And the short version is, one by one, all these students are split up and, for lack of a better term, assigned to different families, where they are sort of forced into these these different archetypal childhood roles. You know, the sports star, the little daddy's little princess, um, the, uh, the, the music prodigy, the town weirdo kid... Uh, and that's going to be the horror. It's all going to be this human psychological horror as these uh, these broken adults try to force uh, these students into these sort of childhood roles that they that they are far too complex for and that they've already grown out of. Uh, and it is going to it is. And the other thing though uh, is that they are going to. So Freddie Freddie's dead, so he can't kill them. Uh, but at some point, the parents are going to start kill them, killing them. Uh, Either because there is going to be one uh, uh, adult that is just outright, well, that's just what happens on Elm Street. Mm. Kids die. And so they're like recreating Freddy-type murders. Uh, but as for the other ones, it's like, they, like for instance, let's go with a hypnocell overdose. One of the kids is having trouble sleeping, and why wouldn't they? So one of the adults uh, sneaks some hypnocell into their chocolate milk. Uh, and it's t- and they die but they die in their sleep of an overdose. Like this, this is going to be a really rough, really hard to get through movie. But that is because it's not going to be psychedelic horror. It's all going to be it's all going to be very real and taken from mundane things, taken to extremes. Would one of the uh, parents be played by Michael Ironside? I don't see why not. I mean, one of them, <laughs> I would want Robert England to be involved, so maybe yes. he'll play the mayor. Okay. Uh... Cool. Um, yeah, I think for mine, I would do. I'd set it more more modern day. So several years had passed. I, I am assuming that Robert England is still Freddy Krueger. He's willing to come back for one more movie or whatever. And uh, it would be about a a group of um, young uh, game developers at a startup, and they're doing. Uh, they got the the license from New Line Cinema to do uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street video game, hmm. and it would be on cell phones and all these things and. Somehow, I'm not sure with some plot machinations, it would be um, because of uh, technology and phones and everything, people are getting much less sleep than before. And because of that, Freddy Krueger can't enter their dreams because there's not (laughs) enough time for him to manifest. Um, Not enough time for them to get that deep REM sleep they need for Freddy to jump in there. So he somehow harnesses uh, technology or starts communicating through the game as these developers are developing it. And it would have a lot of sort of like um, like techno horror, H.R. Giger sort of uh, imagery. And um, it would end with sort of a final confrontation and sort of like a, a dream world, but it's kind of polluted by technology. And um, hmm. Freddy would have an, an army of like um, little Freddy robots or something. So it would be a bit more <laughs> science fiction-y. And it'd be called um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street Online or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just a real kind of dumb title. Mine would have been Nightmare on Elm Street Homecoming. So, Homecoming work. I, listen, it works for Spider-Man, right? So. <laughs> true, true. If it's good enough for him. And that was a good Spider-Man movie. I finally saw that one. Um this brings us right to what you're watching. Ooh. Well, I I watched the 1988 Canadian horror film The Brain, but I watched it under a very interesting context. Okay. Uh, I watched it as part of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 30th Anniversary Live Tour. Uh, so is, is this a movie where... Um they covered it on the show before, or is this something they were riffing live? Uh, the actors were riffing live in front of the the movie. Yeah, they they riffed. Uh, they've never done it on the show. Uh, they uh, they riffed it live uh, in front of an uh, in in front of a theater audience. Uh, my wife and I went to see it in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it was and it was it yeah. was great. Uh, uh, Joel Hodgson was there. Jonah Ray was there. Tom Servo and Crow were there. Um, the uh, oh crud, the woman who plays Cynthia the clone was there and acted as mm. the MC. And they kind of they kind of winkingly acted like it was part of the show. <laughs> so Joel did do commentary then. That's exciting. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was part of it. Okay. And well, well, the way the way they kind of justified a lot of things. 
is that um, is that Cynthia they did they opened it with an invention exchange and Cynthia's invention exchange was a riffing based game show. So the way they handled it is you know how they you know they do host segments on the show. Uh, between each host segment, she would sort of exp- in each host segment she would explain what the next game would be, and Jonah and Joel got uh, got scored based on riffing within certain confines. And Joel, if I have this right, is a producer on the Netflix version of the series. Yes, he's a producer, writer, writer and he's okay. and I believe he at least in the previous season, I think he like shows up on camera twice, but he never speaks. And is Mike Judge involved at all, or would he know? Mike Judge? Not Judge, sorry. Um, the, the other guy that was on the show. Oh, Mike Nelson. Nelson. Uh, no, no, to, not to my knowledge, no. Okay. But the, it's certainly ripe to have him as a cameo, I would think. Yeah, I mean, they had they had cameos from Bill Corbett, uh, Kevin yep. Murphy, and Mary Jo Peel, uh, which was pretty fun, uh, uh, amongst a lot of high-profile cameos on that season, but... But the brain, the brain was great. Uh, David Gale, who you may remember from when we covered Reanimator back in the day, uh, he uh, he is in the movie as Doctor Anthony Blakely, another creepy academic type. Mm. Um, and it was just really fun. Like this is the kind of bad movie I would enjoy on its own, but seeing it riffed live by Jonah, Joel, and the bots was really, really a treat. So in Mystery Science Theater three thousand, it's um, one of those things where. Uh, on this show, they they will cut the movie down. Was this the full movie, The Brain, or was it sort of shortened? Uh, I believe it was cut down. Okay, I mean it's usually not cut down by much, to be fair. But they do. Some well, you got, well, like on on the air, you know, you gotta you gotta get it to fit in with like with like two hours with commercials, and I'm sure I'm sure there is like dead dead weight. I know that uh, like oh, what was it, Carnival Magic. From uh, from last season, I believe like in some cases they will remove something for content. Like so, if the movie has like nudity, they'll usually just remove that scene entirely, put a host segment there, so you won't notice and like any weird cut. Okay. Even though that's interesting, even though with Netflix they don't have to, um, they're not beholden to uh, standard uh, standards and practices. No, well, well, I think I think I think Joel kind of likes to keep it PG, yeah, PG PG thirteen. Sure. You know, uh, uh, Mike, Mike would sometimes get PG thirteen, but um, I think I think it's just sort of Joel's comic sensibilities. I see. I mean, if you'll notice, like the only time they ever really swore on Mystery Science Theater three thousand was in the Mystery Science Theater three thousand movie, where Tom Servo just yells, "Who the fuck is this movie for?" And that's kind of it. And he had to fight for that line. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, it's at some point. I think we're going to have to do a special episode about MST3K. Certainly, we, we, about. we've referenced it several, several times. Um, okay, what have you been watching? Yeah, yeah. What have I been watching? Oh, jeez, not a whole lot of. Um, movies lately but i have it was been i've been on a true crime kick so i finished uh, season two of making a murderer and um which is on netflix and also finished the additional episodes of the staircase which is a documentary from the early 2000s oh and um to sort of give the short version the uh making a murderer is about there's a guy who was put in jail um in Wisconsin, I think, he was put in jail for, for... A woman went jogging, then was found dead, and he was found guilty, and then it turns out they had no evidence, and so he was released after serving almost 20 years jail time. And then almost immediately afterwards, uh, another woman was found dead, and he was found guilty, as was his uh, nephew. who And his nephew is um, uh, mentally deficient, special needs, however you want to put it. And they've been in jail for this second murder, so to speak, for um, almost 15 years now, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I did I did see some of the first season. Yeah, so the second one, it part of it is, is, is meta, because it, it, I mean, it is sort of a, a reality show or documentary, whatever you want to put it, and um, 
it, it comments on the success of the series and is a bit back patting. And uh, I think my problem, and it's part of the reason, it, you might consider this a spoiler, but there's no closure really. And that's just due to the reality of what's going on with the case at the moment. Um, so I don't think it says, it seems to be spinning its wheels a lot. I don't think it needed, it, it does so many flashbacks to the original season and stuff. I, I don't think it's as strong as that first season was. On the other case, The Staircase, I thought, had a much more satisfying ending. The Staircase is a different documentary, but in a similar style, several hours long, split up into episodes, um, about a man was out uh, having some uh, some wine with his, with his wife, and uh, by the swimming pool, and uh, she goes to get some more wine from the kitchen, he doesn't hear back from her and for a while, then he goes to check and she's found dead at the bottom of the staircase. Hmm. And he's a suspect and he goes to jail for um, almost several years and he claims he's innocent and it's about his fight for a retrial and how that affects his relationship with his kids and his um, his extended family, his you know the, the sisters of the wife that's dead. And uh, th that has a really good ending to it, I think. And um, but it's also it's done by a French director, and it's a lot more dry. The camera is it's much more cinema burete. The camera's following them around at every moment. The camera's more in your face. It's not as polished as making a murderer, where it feels very uh, mannered. I guess you get you get more raw moments in the staircase. Is what I'm trying to say. So I, I would recommend both of them, but you have to be in the mood for it, and they're a long watch. Like they're kind of a slow burn. Cool. So if you're going to be depressed, watch Making a Murderer or The Staircase. <laughs> well, I know I certainly need that right now. Mm-hmm. Boy, howdy. Um, well, Thrasher, so how was you? You were at the Con on the Cobb recently, is that right? No, no, Con on the Cobb has not happened yet. That oh. won't be for another uh, two weeks. But didn't you have a convention recently, or am I mistaken? Uh, you, you are mistaken. Okay, so did you go to Cincinnati just for the um, Mystery Science Theater show? Oh, yeah, we were there just for the show. I, I, how far of a drive is that? I'm just curious. Oh, gosh, it's about, uh, two, well, we we hit some traffic, so it was about two hours. Oh, so you didn't, did you spend time in Cincinnati, or? Uh, just, uh, uh, we, we, we showed up early and had dinner there. I, but you didn't sort of make a, a trip of it, uh, like a weekend of it? No, no, we, we, right. we were really just there for the show. Cool, was it pretty crowded? The theater was packed. And was it a big theater? Um, it was. It was kind of one of the, one of those like old timey revival theaters. Ah, yes. Yeah, so, so like it cavernous. wasn't like you know it wasn't like stadium seating, but it was it was sizable. That had you know it had balcony seating in the back, two ceilings. two uh, opera boxes on either side. And um, the, it was the uh, the yeah. Taft Theater, I believe. Uh, okay. we went. And how was the? Um... How was the sound of like the people and the microphones riffing on the movie compared to the movie itself? They uh, overall the audio was really really well balanced. Although, so there was a there was a bit where they brought someone out of the audience to join them on stage uh, to riff with them. Yikes! And <laughs> the the mics were just sensitive enough that while everyone was cheering. If you listen carefully, you could hear Joel giving the giving her instructions on on what to do. Ooh, that's interesting. Like you yeah, well, fed well, lines, they, you mean, or well, they 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 don't, and I think rightfully so. They they don't trust anyone to be funny, so they they have some pre-written riffs and a timesheet, and essentially, it's okay when I tap when I tap you on the shoulder, you say the next line on your sheet. That that's a smart way to do it. So they don't look like idiot, you know. So they don't look like idiots. You don't get some crazy person just like cursing the whole time. Oh or yeah, whatever yeah. they would do. Which um, our friend Jersey Jason, who is part of an improv comedy team, had to deal with recently. Uh, could you mind sharing that story? Well, j just that. So he he was emceeing uh, an improv show. So, so for, his, uh, to, to give him a plug, his show is called The Odd Lot. Is that right? Yeah, The Odd Lot in uh, Savannah, Georgia. Great. Okay. And and so sh short version is he was emceeing a show, and apparently I don't I don't have the full context for all this, but apparently. Uh, some some asshole, possibly two assholes, 
anytime they asked for suggest for a suggestion was always pitching just the most awful shit, uh, including including. Yeah. Stuff I, I don't want to again. I don't want to date this podcast, and I don't want to bring everybody down. But a, but a tragedy happened uh, just yesterday, as of this recording, uh, and that very day, one of these people in the audience was making suggestions based on that tragedy. And when they did the thing where they would open like scraps of paper that people had been written on from the audience, well, again, it was the most yeah, awful shit. And he nearly had to stop the show and had these people escorted from the theater. I think he probably should have had them thrown out. Now, not being there, I'm just, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I used to host, uh, trivia for a national trivia company, uh, oh, yeah. several years ago, and I had, I had an encounter that I should have had the person thrown out, and it's, like, you don't know if the guy's gonna punch you or what, you know, like, it, it's a very awkward situation. <laughs> Um, if, if you're lucky, it's just the person who answers every question with my balls. Yeah. But sometimes it is a real jackass. No, mine. I, I can say the story. I don't think I've said this on the show before. Have you heard this, Thrasher? Uh, no, actually. I don't uh, think I have. Okay, yeah. So this is... And, and I got fired for this, but... Oh, uh, wow. I, I think I did the right thing. So, um, And I, I will say, in uh, Devil's Advocate, I made the mistake of I... That same day, I went on a flight from uh, Atlanta, Georgia to Portland, Oregon, which is about a six-hour flight, I guess, five to six hours, and uh, I was jet-lagged and didn't get much sleep, you know, whatever, I was sleep-deprived, I wasn't in my best state of mind, but we had this fellow at this bar, um, let's call him Jimmy, I don't know his name, I hope it's not Jimmy, but <laughs> I don't think he's listening, and so J- Jimmy would, um, the idea is, if you go to a bar to do bar trivia, you should, you know, get food and drink or at the least a few drinks, right? You should spend money there to patronize the business, wouldn't you right. agree? Yeah. yeah. So old Jimmy, he would show up by himself. He was a real trivia whiz and um, sometimes with friends. And uh, he would never um, buy anything at the restaurant. Huh. He would just get water every time. If he wanted a free beer token, then he'd use that to get a beer which we'd give away those as, as prizes if you um, got, like, bonus questions right or something. But so this guy was just a real uh, real piece of work. And the mistake I made, and it's, I, I think since I've, I've worked for this company, um, they've changed the advice they give to people. Uh, a big part of, of hosting trivia is a scorekeeper, is you have to keep track of all the points, right? right. And add it up. And then you get sort of an update of who's in what place. And uh, what I did, which is what I was taught, which is incorrect because of at least the things like I'm about to reveal, um, when you say who's in what place, you don't say what the, the score is. Because you always get people niggling about the points and so forth, right? Right. Oh, I think I got, uh, I should have got 10 out of 10 on that round. Whoa, what did you have as your answer? But, you know, it's, it's just no time for that shit. Um, and also, like, I, I'm the the host of the trivia, it's my game, it's my, you know, like, fuck off, basically. So, this guy was so incensed that he was in second place, and, oh, he should have been in first place, and it was it was only halfway through the match that um, he went and said, I want to see what you graded on these things. And uh, it turns out he, he caught me, like, I was in a hurry, I, I misdid something, he was off by one point, so I corrected it and apologized. Um... But now that he had that leg on me, the next time I did a thing that was still off, he said, well, I, I want to see this thing a few rounds back. I think I should have got a few more points. And I said, oh, I tossed it in the trash, which is what I did. To keep clutter and also to keep people from asking me questions, I would rip up the graded score sheets and throw them in the trash hmm. uh, in between rounds. Because otherwise you have, I don't know, like 100 sheets of paper. And this guy started to try to jump in the trash to try to find his stuff. Oh, wow. And I told him, don't do that. And I was uh, yelling out of stand down, and which was a bit extreme. He didn't have a weapon or anything, but I didn't know that. And meanwhile, uh, the girl of the bartender uh, was a new bartender at the place. The owner of the place was back in the kitchen smoking pot and not easily available. <laughs> so it was like, and later they said, should we throw this guy out? And I should have said yes. I think that was my big... Regret, but I was in a weird place, and I I could not have left my post with my computer and my things to try and get this guy from the kitchen, because I'm hosting a show, and I'm not sure what else I could have done. 
I didn't curse at him. I didn't punch him. He didn't punch me. It seemed like he was going to, but it was a awkward situation to say the least. Yeah. So people, if you go to live events, don't be assholes. Don't be edgy for the sake of being edgy. I mean, you can do what you want, but it's um. Well, beyond that, if if you are about to go digging through the garbage, <laughs> maybe you yes. should consider if it's really worth it. Right. Do you want to be known as the raccoon that went through the garbage? I don't think so. So, next week at Sequel Cast 2, we'll be talking about Wes Craven's new nightmare. Oh, I cannot wait. This came out a mere three years after Freddy's dead, and it um, has sort of like the seeds of what we would see in another series Wes Craven was famous for, Scream. It was very uh, on the ball about doing sort of meta commentary, and it's a fascinating film. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Now, you you, you can tell it ties into a lot of things he wanted to address. Oh, yeah. Um, So, you can follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And you can follow the show on Facebook at uh, just go to Facebook look up sequel cast 2 or you can uh, play, if you like the show please um, leave us a review on iTunes we love that sort of stuff and it helps our rankings which helps our downloads and it makes everybody happy so before we sign off we're going to do our sequel scene ah uh, yes we've got a scene between John Doe and Freddy Krueger and uh, you're going to be Freddy I assume um I, I, if you would prefer Freddy I don't mind doing John Doe okay I'll be Freddy so um, what what's the context here? They're, so the, the context is yeah. they uh, is that John Doe is in the dream world confronting uh, Freddy Krueger. Okay. I know why you let me go. Oh, do you think I'm your daddy? Mm, wrong. But you let me live. Only long enough for you to bring back my daughter. Your daughter. And now. She's going to take me to a whole new playground. No! Grounded. <laughs> I guess we should have mentioned John Doe was hanging from a parachute that whole time and Freddy was cutting the strings. <laughs> yes. Oh, well. Say la vie. Um, so for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Same. Ancient Sumerian dream demons. <laughs>